Hey, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Glad to have you along for the ride. Maybe that's where you're listening. But wherever you are, hope you're getting ready for the season. That's one of my goals here is to help you with that sort of thing. Whether it's preparing your dog, preparing your shooting skills, or just looking for a place to go. And this week, how it all gets paid for. Yeah, going to get that one off my chest. Finally, finally. And I'll tell you more about that in just a moment or two. But uh, we're going to demystify and debunk some of the misinformation that's out there on how wildlife is managed and how that management is funded. I'll also have some news you can use from industry insiders. So if you're looking to stay current on anything in the bird hunting and bird dog world, I'm going to have that for you coming up in just a moment and another public access tip prompted by a thank you from a, a listener a while back so glad you could join me and hope all is well i don't know about you but um, counting the days already and what that means around here is getting the little ranch cleaned up and buttoned down uh, so that when i am on the road uh, nothing breaks falls off or otherwise tips over all the honeydews are uh, moving to the top of the list, including um, winning the war with red ants and the rehab of the front lawn. Maybe you're doing many of the same things. Uh, a little bit of RV repair. Don't ask. Uh, I'd rather not relive that one. But I'm also doing a little bit of shooting and was taken down a peg last week at the sporting clays range um reminded though maybe you have been as well that sporting clays for most of us is really all about having a good time and the fellowship that comes with sharing uh you know a long walk in a pretty place with a good friend or two thanks rob for going along i chose my targets what i thought was carefully for the place i am in my revisited instinctive style of shooting some of those targets were still pretty darn hard and yes relative to their distance they got harder and harder and harder interestingly though i'm working hard on those low targets because those valley quail and the chuckers in particular are always going to be below my head if you will, whether you're shooting downhill or they're just flying at, you know, treetop level, well, sagebrush top level. So um, those are the ones that vex me right about now, but making progress and uh, always fun, like I said, to, uh, to share some time in the field, even if it's a sporting clays field with good friends. All right. Kind of a new feature around here at the Upland Nation podcast, and I hope you will get something out of it. Going to start bringing you up to speed on a weekly basis on things that you might want to know about or need to know about. Good news out of South Dakota. My good friend Matt Morlock from Pheasants Forever says the drought out there is having an effect in South Dakota, but they had a mild winter, so it could well be. A big ringneck year now it's a little bit early so far to tell and as you remember the state is no longer telling us what those uh bird population counts are but um you know matt's a pretty good guy he's solid on a lot of stuff he's got a science background so i'll take him at his word might be a good year to be in south dakota but if you're in idaho 
make note of this. If you're headed there as a non-resident pheasant hunter, they're going to delay the opening day for non-resident hunters five days after the regular general season opens for all the locals. I know it's happening more and more. It happens in South Dakota. It happens in a few other places, depending on the season. So uh, just be forewarned if you're planning a pheasant hunting trip to Idaho. Back up there in the upper Midwest, Wisconsin's Department of Natural Resources has closed once again the sharp-tailed grouse hunting season. Yeah, it's always dicey in that state, but they did have a season once in a while, and they probably will again someday. Keep your fingers crossed. But their spring surveys, which they're glad to share with everybody who pays for those surveys, show that the viability of the grouse population, sharp-tailed grouse, sharp-tailed grouse, just bear that in mind, and nothing wrong with the roughies out there. The sharp-tailed grouse population is seeing some rough times out there in Wisconsin. So no more shooting those Sharpies in Wisconsin. All that news and everything else you're getting today is brought to you in part by Sage and Breaker Gun Care products crafted at the highest caliber. You heard about the new gun cases? Can't wait to get mine. It's on the way. Thank you, Fred. Uh, 12 ounce wax canvas exterior padded wool interior bomb proof crazy horse leather and a strap so you can carry it over your shoulder in various ways like the British guys do or like the U.S. Army does. It's all right there. Learn more and get on the mailing list. You would have heard about this before everybody else. Just go to sageandbreaker.com. And on your way out of the sageandbreaker.com website, head over to hunthuronsd.com. Our friends in Huron, South Dakota, the Ringneck Nation, are offering a whole bunch of prizes. Just sign up for the free hunting information packet there at hunthuronsd.com. You're eligible to win two nights at several different hotels there, plus a whole bunch of restaurant gift certificates. I've been to all of those hotels and I've been to all of those restaurants from Ryan's Hangar to the Dakota Inn. You'll have a good time and they'll take good care of you. It's all at HuntHuronSD.com. Yeah, thanks for letting me pull on your coat a bit. But this, I mean, every time I give a talk, I get this blank stare from somebody when I ask them, who pays for, you know, all the stuff that we benefit from? We being hunters, who pays for the wildlife biologists, the, the trucks they drive, who pays for the electricity to, you know, light up the lights at the, uh, at the, you know, the, the, the shack or the sign up place, whatever it is, who pays for all of the science, all of the management for wildlife here in each of our states. So usually the answers I get are, well, all the taxpayers do. Income taxes pay for that, or um, property taxes pay for that, or your hunting license and all those tags, they pay for that. Well, you know, uh, no. <laughs> the answer is no. There's a little here and a little there, uh, but the, the, the bulk of the money 
Well, I put it this way. When I'm having this discussion with people, I tell them all the same thing. And I don't care where you stand politically. I don't care if, if you're a vegan, a Buddhist, or a hardcore hunter. You want to support wildlife management from three-toed salamanders to bull elk? Buy a gun and then buy a whole bunch of ammo. Rinse and repeat. The Wildlife Restoration Act of 1937 is the key to all of this. And I'm going to talk at length about it, and I hope you don't mind. But finally, I'll get it off my chest, and you will become a better ambassador for hunting as the primary source of wildlife conservation. And like I said, not just the stuff we shoot and eat. Every critter that runs, flies, digs, and then on the fishing side that swims, that's another act similar to this. Benefits simply and primarily by us buying guns and ammo, bows and arrows. That's what the Pittman-Robertson Act was all about back in 1937. Let me explain. Franklin D. Roosevelt signed into law the Wildlife Restoration Act, also known as the Pittman-Robertson Act, named after its key sponsors. Yeah, Key Pittman of Nevada in the Senate and Absalom Willis Robertson of Virginia in the House. The act, which was proposed originally by hunting organizations, you know, guys like you and me and the groups we belong to, we went to Congress and said tax us so that you can fund wildlife management and conservation. Well, as I mean, even back in the 30s, Congress knew a good thing when they saw it. They've never seen a tax they didn't like. So poof, all of a sudden, the Pittman-Robertson Act became federal aid in wildlife restoration. Okay, the, the act directs taxes on firearms and ammunition sales to be collected by the feds and then parceled out to the individual states to fund wildlife management and habitat protection. Now, back then, it was uh, prompted in large part by rehabilitating migratory bird habitats. So, you know, the, you know, you know what I mean by that. And it, I'm not going to get into the, the sidebar of this, which is how we fund the acquisition of wildlife refuges, particularly waterfowl refuges. That's all duck stamp money. Hey, another tax on hunters. But let me give you some examples of how this money is used, and then we'll get deeper into the whole Megillah of how it's parceled out and how it works and that sort of thing. Georgia used its funds to dig freshwater feeding ponds for wildlife. New York planned to buy additional game lands to plant cover and food. It's, it was at the time a novel and revolutionary idea that citizens, at least citizens like you and me, would go to Congress and ask them to levy more taxes on us. Well, it has been an incredible success in freaking credible since then over 12 billion dollars has been collected 
from manufacturers and then made available to the state. So we'll get deeper into that in a, in a few minutes. But the idea is the feds take that money and we never see it. So when you buy a shotgun, you're never going to see an item on, on the, on the invoice that says, uh, Pittman Robertson act or federal aid to wildlife or anything else. It's an excise tax. So it's paid by the manufacturer when they sell the gun to the wholesaler, the distributor, or the end retailer, and it happens in all three ways. They take that money straight from those guys, put it in a pot, and protect it very carefully. And I'll tell you, it needs that husbandry because years ago, congressmen from both sides of the aisle were trying to chip away at it and get that money and use it for all sorts of other things. But the act has survived since 37 and in fact was recently updated and we'll talk more about that update in a few minutes as well the pittman robertson act is now ironclad the the term lockbox has been used for all sorts of things over the years well it was probably the first lockbox model our money channeled through the manufacturers to the feds and then it comes back to the states and can only be used for certain things hunter education conservation efforts management all the things that take place that ensure that we have access we have something to hunt for and everybody else has available to them thanks to the Pittman robertson act now that prompts a question, and I get it every time. Who doesn't pay? Well, normal citizens don't through their sales tax, property tax, or income tax. Very little of that money ends up in a Department of Fish and Wildlife. Nobody in the wildlife watching community, the mountain bikers, the photographers, the backpackers, the hikers, the tree huggers, and the hippies in sandals who are dancing at their rainbow gatherings, None of them pay for wildlife management and habitat acquisition. There's simply no mechanism for non-hunters or non-anglers to pay. Now, they might make a contribution to the Audubon Society or the Sierra Club or their so-called conservation group of mountain bikers or whatever, but it's a pittance. It's piddling. It's a drop in the ocean when you consider that the Pittman-Robertson Act alone is the money that funds up to 85% of most state fish and wildlife departments. 85%. I looked at all the states and the lowest amount I could find was about 70%. and The highest was about 86%. So most of the money, just to make it clear, put a finer point on it, most of the money that goes towards taking care of wildlife on public ground comes from buying guns and ammo and bows and arrows. Yeah, all sorts of guns and ammo. In fact, I'll get into that next. How does that work? Well, the Pittman-Robertson Act set by law 
a tax rate of 11% of the wholesale price for long guns and ammunition and 10% for handguns and ammunition as the excise tax paid by manufacturers, producers, importers, of firearms, and all those other things we talked about. Eventually, they added bows and arrows, which theoretically are, you know, long guns and ammo, if you will. So every time a gun is sold for the first time, every time a box of ammo is sold for the first time from the manufacturer-importer, it is levied at 11 or 10%, depending on what kind of product it is. Whether it's a hunting gun, sport shooting, or personal defense, doesn't matter. They're all taxed. The U.S. Department of Treasury takes those funds and hands them to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. They're the ones who get to divvy up the pieces of the pie. And I'll get a little deeper into that in just a moment. But first, hang loose. Got to pay a few bills. Please continue to pay attention to the Upland Nation podcast. Because these sponsors make it possible. Happy Jack makes all sorts of canine remedies and preventatives from insecticide-based pesticides to the natural stuff, including their flea beacon. It's non-toxic, replaceable inserts work immediately, works on the the notion that fleas are attracted to light. They, They jump toward the light, they fall down on the little sticky pad, and they're caught for good. Learn more about the flea beacon at happyjackinc.com. I use their products. I believe in their products. Family-owned and operated, third-generation Manning Exum is now in charge over there. Thank you for your support, Manning and Joe. And thank you all for taking a look at them at happyjackinc.com. Take a look at that flea beacon. Learn more about it. And then Roughland Performance Kennels, my kennel of choice. Flick loves riding in his. They're built like a performance cooler. They employ some of the technologies and the theories and applications of race car safety technology as well. You can get it with an available second side or back door. You can get it in multiple colors. And they have a whole line of accessories that I also love from storage bins that go on top of Flix Kennel to a water storage tank that will go up there as well and offer some storage too. Learn more about all of them and what they're doing to keep your dog safe at Ruff, R-U-F-F, RuffLandKennels.com. Welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, pulling on your coat a bit about the Pittman-Robertson Act, federal aid to wildlife restoration. It is the one and only primary principle, number one with a bullet funding mechanism for wildlife conservation and management in the United States of America. Yep. Like I said earlier, there's really nobody else helping out in that regard. And I don't mean that the way you might think I mean that because I'm a cynical SOB. But what I mean is 
everybody else's contributions are dwarfed by the billions of dollars that are raised and allocated to wildlife conservation and management by the Pittman-Robertson Act. Yes, hunting license fees, tags, permits, all of that stuff, that helps a lot. The contributions, whether they're dollars or in-kind from conservation groups like Pheasants Forever and the Nevada Chucker Foundation, help immensely, especially at the grassroots level. But most of the money comes from your buying guns and ammo and bows and arrows. Once that money is raised and the Treasury Department has it in their greedy little hands, they are directed by law to hand it over to the Fish and Wildlife Service. That account is called the Wildlife Restoration Trust Fund, held in trust for all of us and everybody else who doesn't pay for it but enjoys wildlife and the benefits that managing it and conserving their habitat provides. Those funds are made available to the states the year after their collection. Funds are then distributed through this process, about $8 million to the Enhanced Hunter Education Program that includes building or maintaining public target ranges. So that's all hunter education and a whole bunch of other things are too, as you well know, including the classes and the instructors and the technology and the curriculum. Another $3 million for projects that require some sort of cooperation among the states. <laughs> like that ever happens. And then half of the excise tax collected on handguns is also set aside for basic hunter education programs. Far-sighted, brilliant, and realistic. Now the rest of the money, and remember we're talking $12 billion since its inception, the rest of the money is divided in half. 50% goes to states based on the land area of the state in proportion to the total land area of the country. So if you're Wyoming, half of the money from your share, half of your slice is going to be based on the size of the state. The other 50% is based on the number of individual paid hunting license holders in the state in proportion to the national total. All right, so you got you know, a yin and a yang and both of those balance out. So as my wife asked earlier today, well, what if you're Rhode Island, you're a little tiny state and you don't have a whole lot of hunters? Well, you're not going to get a lot of money, but proportional to the number of hunters and the number of acres you have in your state, you're doing pretty good. In fact, you're doing exactly as well as everybody else. I know I'll fire up a lot of people if I use the electoral college analogy, but you know, that just flashed on me. I think that's a pretty good one. There are two ways to make this thing work and make it fair for everybody. Half based on the size of the land area and half based on the number of license holders. That money comes out a year after it's collected and boy, are we grateful for that because as you well know, the number of hunters has shrunk in the last couple decades. Luckily, the size of all the states has stayed the same and whew, the number of guns, ammo, bows, and arrows being sold just keeps going up and up and up. That Pittman and that Robertson, they were pretty far-sighted guys, I think. They, they, they saw this coming whether they knew it or not. 
and they made provision for all of the problems that we might see when it comes to funding wildlife conservation in America. Okay, I've talked a little bit about how that money is used. And of course, the joy of it is each Fish and Wildlife Department chooses among their high priority projects what to do. And remember this, ultimately, those departments, through their commissioners, who are appointed by our elected officials, usually our governor, so they're somewhat accountable to you and me but only if we show up at their meetings, write them emails, and make our speeches in front of their groups. Some states use their funds to restore, manage, and enhance wild bird and mammal habitat. Could be public access to current existing resources, hunter education I've talked about, development and management of shooting ranges, and these days I'll talk a little bit more about the update recruit more hunters, and educate them more. If you're one of our loyal listeners or you follow Wing Shooting USA, you know I survey you every year, and those are some of the top priorities. Access, more access, and recruiting more hunters. Yeah, we're on the right track because all of those things are helpful not only to conservation, but to the long-term future of the sport. It's all right there. Okay, new and improved, yes. In the last year and a half, the Pittman-Robertson Act was modernized. All the Fish and Wildlife Agencies got together and they talked to people like our friends at the conservation groups, Pheasants Forever and this, you know, uh, Ducks Unlimited and uh, all those other groups and realized that, hey man, we got to do a little bit more here to recruit and retain more hunters we don't want to lose them we got, we want to bring them back or we want to find new ones so let's expand the scope of the pittman robertson act just a little bit to include recruitment and education of new hunters especially as the population urbanizes and diversifies from a, a socio-economic basis all right so that money can now be used for some of the things you're starting to see right now, whether it's uh, the so-called R3 activities that are recruiting new hunters, uh, whether they're urban or young or women or minorities or whatever else. Those are all being funded to a degree from Pittman-Robertson Act money. That's the biggest thing that has changed in the last 75 years. Personally, I think that's a great thing because as you're learning, or maybe you already know this, without more people coming into the sport, not enough guns, ammo, bows, and arrows are being sold to support wildlife conservation at the level to which it needs to be supported. Put it in perspective, in the last 25 years, the number of hunters as a proportion of the population in the U.S. has shrunk from 10% to 5%. So, We've lost half the participants. Now, I don't care how many guns and how much ammo you buy, we can't make it up all by ourselves. So, as I said, make a new hunter and tell them to keep buying stuff. One of the reasons it works so well, 
the original act prohibited the diversion of license fees paid by hunters for any other purpose other than the administration of state game and fish departments. Now, Congress tried and failed many times to take that money. I think they learned their lesson. Once, twice, three times burned, very shy. It won't happen again, I can almost guarantee it. Now, why does this all matter to us? The North American model of wildlife conservation is unique. And this is what we're helping to support with our PR money. In Europe and much of the rest of the world, wildlife is owned by the landowner. So if you own a thousand acres in England, anything that walks, swims, flies, or crawls on that land is technically yours. It's a throwback to ancient times and, and royalty and privilege and all the things that happened when there were serfs and kings and barons. And if you got caught killing a deer on the king's land, well, you were a dead man too. Although you didn't end up at the feast that night like the deer did. Now in America, all the citizens own all the wildlife and fish. That is a radical concept in North America, and that's U.S. and Canada, to a degree everywhere else in North America, if you will, Mexico, but mainly here. What that means is we fund all of the wildlife conservation through the Pittman-Robertson Act and related activities, whether it's our license purchases, duck stamp purchases, things like that. User pays is the simple description. Unfortunately, user has been bastardized, at least in my opinion, to mean only those who consume some of those resources, uh, hunters and fishermen. So if you don't shoot something, take it home and eat it, you're a non-consumptive user and you're not paying for any of that stuff. I don't care whether you're taking pictures of wildlife in Yellowstone or you're having a good time paddling your canoe along a waterway that hunters manage through their game department. You're not paying. Just the consumptive users pay. I'd love to see that change. Maybe you would too. I mean, they're already getting more than their fair share out of it. So if you're a jogger, a bike rider, hiker, backpacker, wildlife photographer, or anybody else, feel free to send some money our way. Yeah, those are crickets you're hearing. It was tried back in the 80s. There was a move afoot to get the backpack manufacturers, the backpack tent manufacturers, the hiking boot folks, the binocular folks, the camera folks, and everybody else whose gear is used by those non-consumptive users kayaks and canoes, paddles and everybody else, get them to pay an excise tax and cover their fair share. Because remember, it all goes, it goes to manage all the wildlife and all the habitat of the wildlife. Not just the stuff we kill and eat. The industry as a whole, the non-consumptive industry, the folks who make those products, well, 
their hair caught fire. At least that's what they acted like. They were, let's just put it mildly, they were sure as hell not going to help pay their fair share, and they were certainly not going to assess a, a tax on their customers. And that's the way it's stood ever since. You and I and our fellow participants in hunting and angling are paying 85% of the bill in almost every state. Not funded by taxpayers, not funded by anybody out there who's jogging, taking pictures. You and me, keep buying guns and ammo, bows and arrows. You wonder how much it is these days? Well, uh, just a few years back, the most recent numbers um, will boggle your mind. It's gone up and up and up. It's the only good news to come out of a Hillary Clinton candidacy or an Obama presidency. People buy more guns. They buy more ammo. They buy more crossbows. They buy more bolts for those crossbows. They buy more longbows and strings and peep sights and all that stuff and all of that together a couple years ago was handed out to state agencies you know how much it was just two years ago 1.1 billion dollars that's one year's Pittman robertson excise tax revenue going to the states to manage fish wildlife habit i'm sorry not even that going to the states to manage wildlife and wildlife habitat the fish one by the way is called the dingle johnson act does the same thing with watery critters 70 to 75 percent of the average state fish and wildlife agency budget 1.1 billion dollars two years ago in march yeah that's with a b what has it done? Well, most recently, expanded ranges for American black bears, elk, and cougars. It's taken care of non-game species of all sorts. I was at a project once a couple years ago where they were building a guzzler, not for all the critters we shoot at, but for all the songbirds along a certain highway in a very parched and dry desert environment. Songbirds. Pittman-Robertson money. New York recently, protecting grouse, turkey, deer habitat. Restoring habitat for the endangered Carner Blue Butterfly. Your excise tax dollars at work. You know, I'm glad to help. I love those things as well. I just wish everybody else would as well. Maybe someday, but until then... We're throwing them a bone. The mountain bikers and the baseball players and everybody else are getting money now from the Land Conservation and Water Fund. I think that's what they call it, LCWF. That's a tax on oil and natural gas, but none of that money is helping us out to the degree that the Pittman-Robertson Act is. So, there it is, in a nutshell. Hunters archers and then on the other side anglers are the ones who have been paying for all wildlife conservation and management in the united states yeah buy a gun buy some ammo whether you shoot targets or not if you want to make a difference buy more of that kind of stuff thanks for letting me pull on your coat a bit 
Still got a lot to cover right here, including some places in North Dakota you might want to take a look at right after this. I'm Scott Linden, your host on the Upland Nation podcast. Thanks so much for sticking with me. Hey, you got somebody who needs a little education. This is a perfect chance to recommend the Upland Nation podcast to one of your friends, neighbors. It's real easy. If they get podcasts, they can find it. Just search Upland Nation. This is a great podcast to get them started on what really matters in our world. And for that, I thank Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food, one of our sponsors, drtims.com. You get 30% off your first order with the code UPLANDNATION. Everything Tim Hunt puts into his dog food, and this guy's a practicing veterinarian. The guy knows what works and what doesn't work, and he knows what to question and that sort of thing. Watch his most, well, our most recent video, and you'll see what I mean about ash, for example. He knows where his ingredients come from. He tells you where they come from. You can decide for yourself what you want to put in your dog and why. It's all at D-R-T-I-M-S dot com. Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food. That's what I fuel Flick with, or that's with what I fuel Flick. Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food. Got a nice note from a listener a few days ago thanking me for helping him offline plan a trip to one of my favorite pheasant states. A little unsung, but not so much. And that's North Dakota. I'll never forget my first visit. It was real cold and real snowy, but I saw more birds in one flight out of a shelter belt that I probably saw the rest of the season everywhere else. It doesn't get the pressure from hunters that South Dakota gets, and that's one of the bits of good news. The other one is, because of that, people are wonderful. Not that South Dakotans aren't. Both of those states understand what side their bread is buttered on economically, and they will welcome hunters, including you. Here's some of the best places I have visited in North Dakota, south of Interstate 94, almost anywhere in the western part of the state, the southwest, especially near Mott and Dickinson, two of my favorite towns. Some people like the southeast along the Missouri River, and that makes sense as well because, you know, there's a lot of birds that don't recognize state borders and they sure can fly over that river from that other state over there, and then that other state over there. So uh, all good places to go, or at least consider going this pheasant season. North Dakota, I'm glad to share that with you. Good luck, and hey, if you need more help than that, you know how to reach me. Talk to me on Facebook if you like. This land is your land. That public access feature I just talked about is brought to you by Find birdhuntingspots.com. Hey, thank you for making it the number one bird hunting public access website in the universe. Find birdhuntingspots.com. Try to give you new material every week to help you find places to hunt, what to do when you get there, 
and how to train and care for your dog. It's all at findbirdhuntingspots.com. Appreciate you letting me pull your chain on the Pittman-Robertson Act. Please do consider sharing that with people who, and believe me, could be your hunting buddy who don't know how we fund wildlife conservation in this country. Share it around. I would appreciate that. In the meanwhile, let's talk on the Wing Shooting USA and Upland Nation Facebook pages. Don't forget findbirdhuntingspots.com. Thank you to those who left ratings and reviews. Sure appreciate that. Everybody who talks to us on Facebook, try to respond to everybody. Thank you for your kind birthday wishes a while back. Leaving with this from author Helen Thompson. She says, a well-trained dog will make no attempt to share your lunch. He will just make you feel so guilty that you can't enjoy it. Go ahead, toss him a breadcrust. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast. See you down the road.